You're listening to the Screaming Pods Network. We are the Sacred Collective. All are respected, all are heard, all are welcomed. Join us. All right, welcome to the Sacred Collective. I'm Caleb, and uh, we have a nice sized group here today, and we have a returning special guest. We have Robert. Hello. Hello, Robert. Um, we're going to talk about uh, gay conversion therapy today, which is, I think, a really important topic. This actually first came up, Robert, I think you, the first time you ever told me about this was when I did the interview with you and your husband, David, mm-hmm. at my place, and you were like, yeah, so I checked myself into gay conversion therapy, and I was like, what? Oh, yeah, by the way, just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a, just a little side note, don't worry about it. I was just traumatized by this awful institution. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we'll do roll call real quick, go around and say our names, and then we can. Robert's going to read us an article, because you can tell us more about your blog and stuff before we get into that. So, I'm Caleb. I'm Robert. Brian. I'm Kayleen. Joshua. And I'm Eric. And Amanda's around, too. Amanda is in the other room with her daughter, but she will join us shortly. Ava. Ava. Yeah. Ava. She has yes. a name, Brian. Sorry. <laughs> Ava. So, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your blog and everything? Yeah, so um, I started uh, brobearblog.com. <laughs> um, I got that nickname from a couple of my friends um, from Phoenix back when I used to live there. Um, shout out to um, Crystal and Wendy, um, their wives. And uh, they used to just call me Brother Bear uh, because I'm a big, you know, bear, gay bear. And I'm, you know, a brother, so um, one of the you know, followers of Christ. <laughs> We're all family. Um, so that's kind of where the name came from. And I felt like I needed to start writing stuff because um, in my community, where I come from is a Romanian-American community, it's, it's very um, not open-minded. There are very, very few out gay people that are affirming and or... Um, Christian, um, so I felt like I needed to, to kind of represent and write stuff and um, just kind of break down everything. And so most of everything that I write is actually translated in English and Romanian. So anybody across the seas or here in the country that identifies as a Romanian or Romanian American can read it. So um, and I, along with that, you know, do some T-shirts because I love designing. I'm a designer by trade and putting playlists together and all that fun stuff so and you can find your t-shirts on Amazon right yeah yeah you could go to Amazon and just um, search Bro Bear blog or you can go directly to my site and hit shop and you'll find a bunch of different stuff there so either way but yeah ch- check it out if you get a chance awesome cool so what we're going to do uh, Robert's going to read through a uh, an article or, or would you say a blog entry yes. yeah so I, I wrote this um piece where I never really told anybody that I went through gay conversion therapy and I think most people that will hear it and that know me will probably be surprised um, because they just think that one day I turned gay and I left <laughs> one day one day I just decided to be gay I'm out of here. hey guys I'm gay I'm out of stink town yeah exactly <laughs> um, but the truth is that I before all that I tried everything under the sun um, to change back in the day, change my wicked ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get a little fall world reference there. Um, but uh, yeah, and it n- nothing happened. Um, but 
I wanted to record it so people that have also gone through conversion therapy, um, number one, don't feel like they're alone. And for those who haven't gone through it, they kind of get an idea of what kind of goes on and some of the dangers and um, negative impacts it could have. Mm-hmm. It's alarming. Yeah, it's very surprising. Um, I think the gener- general public knows that it's, you know, it, it is damaging or wrong, but they don't know to what extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or what kind of specifically goes down in these kind of places. Yeah. And you had me listen to another podcast that's based on Boy Race. The un- it's the Unerased podcast, right? Yeah. So uh, Boy Race um, was the book that came out some years ago, um, which is highly, highly recommended reading. Mm-hmm. If not, just get the audiobook. Um, then there's a movie, which I saw. And then there is Unerased, which is an organization that put together this podcast that mm-hmm. talks about and documents um, the history of uh, gay conversion therapy. And the whole thing is just like a few hour long listen. Really yeah. well produced. Very well like produced. Four episodes, very, yeah. 45 minutes long each. It, it goes by fast. Mm-hmm. It's very fascinating. Yeah. I was itching for more after I yeah. listened to it. I was like, I wish this thing didn't end. Just yeah. So, so yeah, essentially for the listener, Robert's going to read through his article and don't worry, we're not being super rude. He asked us to, <laughs> to stop and interrupt him and we're going to try to just kind of jump off from some of these topics and and rant riff on that a little bit and, and figure out what the hell is going on with this with this practice of gay conversion therapy yeah which uh brian and i were talking earlier isn't it outlawed in a lot of states now some states there's some a, states there's a lot of states including this one where recently it's it's being allowed it's recently being allowed yeah oh, wow. so it was up in the We are the Sacred Collective. Join us. We need more more voices, I think, to kind of get up and say this is not okay. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Start with your article and we'll interrupt you. All right. So my article is just basically my story. And I'll write, um, read it. And you guys stop me anytime and ask me questions. Perfect. All right. Most people didn't know that at one point in my life, I checked myself into conversion therapy I recount my memories with a lack thereof. The dangers of gay conversion therapy, also called reparative therapy, has been brought to light in the wake of Gerard Conley's memoir, Boy Erased, and now the twice-nominated Golden Globe movie. Besides the numerous articles outlining this dangerous practice, the film acted as a catapult for personal stories from ex-gay therapy survivors like myself. I remember sitting in a theater watching the film with my husband and friends unable to move. My husband must have sensed my tension because he tried to gently hold my hand, but they remained motionless, clenched at my sides throughout its entirety. I couldn't move. I never spoke about my experience with how I checked myself into gay conversion therapy. Most of my friends don't even know that part of my life. It was a week and night when I came home from work and I walked into the house where I noticed both my parents in the kitchen. I've done it almost every day, but this time around, things seemed different. The air was tense, and I could feel something impending. Walking into the kitchen, I saw my mom fervently washing the dishes quietly with her back towards me, and my dad sitting next to the table with one leg over the other quietly looking down. My eyes traveled to the rectangular object on the table, and my heart stopped. 
There, laying on the kitchen table, is a gay porn falcon video I stashed in my room, adorned with butch leathermen on every surface of the VHS tape sleeve. My heart, my heart stopped and dropped, and my surroundings began spinning in slow motion. I was caught, and there was no getting out of it. I was closeted and still living with my conservative Romanian Pentecostal parents, because in my culture, you don't move out until you're married. Needless to say, all my friends at the time got married in their early 20s, and I was still look a good Christian boy waiting for the right girl. Quotes. My parents took me to the garage and ordered me to smash the VHS tape to pieces with a hammer while they prayed to cast out any gay demons in the name of Jesus. My mom didn't speak of the event again, and my dad told me to, quote, just stop being gay. If it were possible, I would have, but I couldn't and I didn't. I was living a double life where at church, I was a good Christian boy. While on my free time, I'd sneak away with men I'd meet online or at the bar. I was miserable, depressed, and torn. There had to be a way out of it, I thought. That's when I stopped by the local Christian bookstore. I peered through the shelves in the men's section, looking cool and casual on the outside, while my stomach was in knots on the inside. Topics of how to be a godly man, sexual purity, fatherhood, warriors, sports, etc. took precedence. Then there it was. Tucked away was the book on how to break free from the, quote, bondage of homosexuality. A post-Christian production. did myself reflections, prayed, fasted, did altar calls after altar calls, and shed many tears, but God just didn't, wouldn't want to turn me straight. That's when I decided to take a step further. I wanted to make sure I tried everything possible to avoid eternal damnation. At the very end of the book, there was information for the now defunct Exodus Ministries, which in its heyday was one of the largest conversion therapy programs in the country located in Dallas, Texas. Living in Phoenix at the time, it wasn't realistic to go there, but I reached out to them, and they referred me to a counselor in Chandler, Arizona. I called, got the information, and I quickly realized I couldn't afford it. But I couldn't let money get in the way of heaven, so I convinced my parents to fund the conversation ther- conversion therapy. Question. Yeah. A couple of things. Sure. So the book, yes. is it written by a psychologist? Oh, very good question. Is it written by someone who has any <laughs> idea what they're talking about? You, yeah, I don't know what, who, well, these are good God-fearing men that wrote that book. <laughs> I just want me to be saved, not go to hell. Um, it was not a psychologist. It was not like anybody by the APA. Um, it was most likely a pastor or person in the ministry or a quote-unquote ex-gay person that wrote that book. Um, and every chapter had a different, you know, work workbook kind of thing to work through and journal and take notes. And there's some really jacked up things in there. Like one of the chapters had to be um, what was the sins of your parents and your grandparents. You had to write them down <laughs> along with <laughs> your sins because <laughs> you had to document everything. This, this seems so traumatic. It was traumatic. Yeah. Um, was there any like? Validation that this is hard, or was it just you're going to do this, otherwise you're not going to be godly? 
Um, it was the latter. Like at that time, I thought that if I wanted to be a good Christian, I wanted to go to heaven. I had to do. I had to go through the fire. I had to do this. So, what, what type of like workbook stuff was there? Like, what, what was it? What practice was there to it? Or like, what assignments was it giving you to work on? This? Like, what what do they think is going to fix? "Quote unquote," which I um, yeah, I hate that I use that. I hate the term, <laughs> the term "reparative therapy." So yeah, so reparative is so it's it's automatically saying there's something deeply wrong. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you when you said that, that it's like <clears throat> called reparative therapy, like that's so cringy because it's so such stunting. it's so but it like twisted to make it sound so much more official, but also so critical. Right, like, like as if you're clinical. a broken, broken being. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, one of the uh, workbooks had me, like I mentioned, write out all the sins because the sins, they yeah. believe that it gets passed down and somehow that there's responsibility on you know getting rid of those or addressing those, which is you know. Well, that seems like the trap door too. It's just like the original sin thing. It's like yeah, we got you by the short and curlies now because. Right. Somebody else sin, it's on you. Yeah. And you got to deal with that. And you're like, oh shit, I got to deal with something somebody else did. Yeah, so I think it got. It, it, they talked also about um, ways that you could overcome your homosexuality. Um, they kind of address um, that you have to. I know <laughs> that um, one of the ways you can do it is by bonding with straight males. So they would suggest that you go camping with these straight males that would embrace you. Be hyper-masculine? Yeah. What? Be hyper-masculine. You it's know. like that John Eldridge book. <laughs> it's like people just desperately gripping onto patriarchy. Yeah. And just being like, we're going to be in charge. In the Unerased podcast, one of those episodes that I listened to, uh, it, it, it talked about having having the participants uh, uh, like, you know, walk, quote-unquote, in a, in a masculine way uh-huh. and talk in a masculine way. Ava doesn't like this either. Nobody likes this. And I, one of the things, the thing that I think the funniest example to me was it said, when you look at your fingernails, don't hold them out away, don't hold your hand away from you because it's effeminate, but turn turn your palm towards you and, and bend your fingers. Right. It's like, like a that, man does. Well, it's like, like about not school. crossing your legs when you sit. <laughs> man. Yeah. Feminine. Yeah. The girls do this, the guys do this. That makes sense. That's what you get taught as a little kid. You know, when you look at your feet... The kids used to tease, say, how do you look at your feet? And so if you look at your foot straight down, that's you're, you're a man. But if you turn your foot outward to the soles of your feet, oh, you must be gay. Because that's a girly move. Interesting. Yeah. So as you're conditioned as a, since it, as a kid, this pre-reparative therapy kind of mentality where you need to act a certain way um, because that's what men do. And if not, then something's wrong with you. And the, and the that's actually really interesting. Like I remember, as as when I was younger, growing up, um, listeners won't be able to see this, but I remember just like knowing that I felt more like a guy to stand with my hands on my hips like this rather than this. Uh-huh. Like if you put your hands on your hips, like it felt more manly to have my fingers in front and my thumbs behind. Whereas like if you turn your uh-huh. wrist and have your thumbs in front and your fingers behind, that felt more feminine. Yeah, and I remember like. It was never told to me. It wasn't, like, something that... It was just, like, in the culture. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what you see. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's so much, like... There's just that kind of, like, subtext of wanting to look like what you think, quote-unquote, you're supposed Mm -hmm. to. Yeah. When I used to work in that uh, daycare, 
I remember, I think I had, I, I was like taking the kids outside, and I think I had like maybe a pink scarf or something. I was, everyone was bundling up. It was winter. I was bundling up. I put it on, and this guy was like, Boys don't wear pink scarves. And I was like, Well, I am. You're like, They did before <laughs> and, 1900. And well, I didn't even, I was like, I wasn't like mad, obviously mad at the guy. I was just trying to teach. I was like, Well, I am. And he was like, No, boys don't do that. And I was like, Was he well, English? Why? Was he English? No, no, governor. Boys don't do that, sir. <laughs> Let me sweep your chimneys, governor. <laughs> uh, plot twist, he was Oliver Twist. Yeah. <laughs> sweep your chimneys, that's some sort of... Yeah, euphemism. right, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I didn't want to say anything. So I... <laughs> Consider yourself homo. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think that would be appropriate time to go back to your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we got a little sidetracked. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. So, I mean, there is some conservatives have caused ideas of what causes it. So, they think that a lack of male bonding, which is why they suggested, you know, bonding with straight men that accept you. There's the idea that um, there's something psychologically wrong with you. So, they'll try to, you know, psychologically change that. Um, there's also the idea that you're just demonically possessed. Yeah. Um, that part of your story is shocking. They like cast, is, is that more prolific in the Romanian community? Um, maybe. Because Eastern Europeans seem to have a much longer history of exorcism than most of the other most of the West. Yeah, they ha- they they're holding on more to more of the traditional spiritual spirit world kind of um, perspective. Um, so yeah, there are a number of them that probably think that there is a demon in me and that's making me gay. Spiritual warfare, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, or an yeah. angel. Or an angel. Yeah. A gangel. <laughs> a gangel. I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that That's a new shirt? That's, That's a, a new shirt. That should be our hashtag. <laughs> yeah. Angel. Hashtag angel. <laughs> and the gangel of the Lord came to me. <laughs> yeah, that needs to be. <laughs> yeah, it Do really, it. It really Do does. It. I love it. That really I'll does. One. Yeah, me too. Totally. <laughs> Memories or the lack thereof. It was dark as I pulled up into the little office center where the therapist was located. It was a nice building with a rustic brick facade, manicured landscape, and large wooden doors. The foyer opened up into the front desk where a girl politely checked me in. A few other guys were sitting there, and I wondered if they were there for the same reason I was. I was so nervous and uncomfortable. I didn't know what to expect. After a short wait, Michael, whose name has changed, came to introduce himself and brought me back to one of the offices. Michael was probably in his early 40s, medium build, head-shaped bald, and a pale skin. His pleasant disposition was not overshadowed by a little swoosh in his step and a slight lisp on his tongue. Maybe he was ex-gay and the feminine characteristics never went away? Who knows? I can remember sitting across Michael tense with fists either on my side at times or entwined like pretzels. I had a handful of sessions with him, but oddly enough, that period of my life seemed to all but vanish from my memory. I wish I could remember conversations, the questions, the exercises, but it's as if all had been wiped from a memory. There are many studies and reports on the ties between emotional trauma and memory loss. For example, something called local dissociative amnesia affects specific moments of a person's life. The Cleveland Clinic reports... Localized memory loss affects specific areas of knowledge or parts of a person's life, such as a certain period during childhood. Often the memory loss focuses on a certain specific trauma. 
Could my experience in gay conversion therapy have been so emotionally traumatic that my brain blocked all my memory? I do have a few lingering flashbacks, however. Wondering why my therapist had a slight lisp and a swish in his step. My mom and dad grilling him on his sexuality while I sat watching. Being in a large room with a group of straight men, watching a video on pornography with a nearly naked woman disrobing on screen. Breaking out in group sessions and having to admit the ways we sinned that week. Me being the only gay person in a group of straight Mormon men and not understanding why. Having to do homework, logging my homosexual thoughts and actions for review. Feeling of shame, fear, emotional pain, anxiety, and contemplation of suicide. The experience was as bizarre as it sounds. The conversion therapy was abruptly ended by my parents. Not because they saw the damage it was causing, but because they were too cheap to pay for my therapy. Quote, you don't need counseling, they said. You just need God. Praying God will change you. The reasoning may have been ridiculous, but it was their frugalness and disbelief in therapy as a whole that actually saved me from continuing on a path that could have ended differently. This kind of pseudo-therapy comes with a list of potential negative outcomes. According to, a re- according to a recent analysis by the American Psychological Association, they list consequences, which include self-reports of anger, anxiety, depression, guilt, hopelessness, deteriorated relationships with family, loss of faith, poor self-image, social isolation, intimacy difficulties, suicidal ideation, self-hatred, and sexual dysfunction, just to name a few. Public Health England reports that 52% of young LGBT people report self-harm either recently or in the past compared to only 25% of heterosexual, non-trans young people. And 44 of young LGBT people have considered suicide compared to 26 of heterosexual, non-trans young people. During the Queer Christian Conference in Chicago, I came to realize just how many people went through gay conversion therapy as I have. It was staggering. One man I met at the conference is a father and now divorced husband who told me his story. He had been attending conversion therapy while married to his wife for nearly a decade. He finally accepted himself, came out... I'm sorry, he was attending for for 10 years? He was attending for 10 years. He was married for 10 years, he was... He was married and attending for 10 years while he was married. Yeah. For a decade. Yeah. And it and I met him at the conference and he's an out man and he's much happier. Oh sure. Um I mean ten years and you have a wife and kids, you know, it's 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 also staggering how many closeted married men there are, you know, in the church or in the general public that are married to women and they just yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They hide it or they try to change it or mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. I've even heard of, I had, there's a friend of a friend, I didn't know them directly, which is probably honestly good because then I can't accidentally share too many personal details, <laughs> but it was something where, like, there's a guy, you know, who obviously, like, he was, he was in evangelical world and uh, was open, I guess, with his youth group and his church about, you know, being gay. Or as they might say, having gay thoughts or whatever. Same-sex attraction. <laughs> Same-sex attraction. Yeah, that's the term, that, the phrase they use. Yeah. And uh, and so, like, he, he had a, a best friend, you know, a, a young woman who was dating and stuff like that. And uh, 
So I guess I guess yeah, they were technically dating. He was open about whatever was going on and stuff, and he wanted to pray the gay away and this and that. And then they end up. So she tells her friends like he's he's my best friend and like I really want to marry him just like so I can help him through this and help him get better or whatever. And like now you know he's happily married to a man, um, but it's I think that's just such a common thing that is reinforced by. Uh, the evangelical world and, and maybe even more broadly by by conservative culture that it's like oh just get a wife and you know fake it till you make it almost yeah they, they do believe that mm-hmm. you have to tap it to you know see if you like it or you know it'll change you <laughs> yeah which no <laughs> sadly I have a friend uh, who is straight for Jesus and is married and has two kids and um, obviously won't name them but they are sure of what they are, but their whole community and church system and structure and everything is like, no, you can't do that. And so they're in a relationship, and I'm sure they don't find that fulfilling. They're living a life that now they are tied to with two children that are theirs, Mm -hmm. that they don't find particularly themselves. And I feel like that seems like a a prison. It's a really difficult situation to be in. I I couldn't imagine... You know, you're you're not being true yourself, and you're you're going against every grain of your humanity, mm-hmm. um, and you're sticking to this marriage that will not work, and there's children involved. Yeah, it's it's just really difficult. I think uh, interesting. Well, two things. Um, I think it came out within the last couple of years is that Trey Pearson, mm-hmm. um, who was in that Christian rock band. I think was it Everyday Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, who grew up evangelical like a lot of us here in the room and, you know, got married, was married to his wife. Had I think they had a little kid. And he always knew that he was gay, but kind of living in that evangelical world where, you know, I have these same-sex attractions, as he was told. And, like, he oh, knew he was gay. So he knew he was gay, but he, he couldn't come out. He couldn't be true to who he was. And... It finally came to a time, and, like, I read, like, his... I think he wrote, like, a blog or some, like, open letter. And I watched the... I don't normally watch The View, but he was on The View and kind of had the... No, it was fascinating, though. He, like, told his whole story, and I just was there when I watched it was just weeping just to... The beauty of his story, and I'm glad that he um, is true to who he is, and, and, you know... But it had to be so hard because he's... He, his wife knew he was gay and knew that they probably shouldn't have gotten married. I mean, they're, they still love each other. They're still, like, best friends, and they still co-parent. But just kind of, I mean, it's just the bullshit that he, like, him and many other people have to go through because there's a fraction of Christianity who is like, no, 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 like, you, you know, we all have these struggles in our life, but... For some apparent reason, homosexuality is this hill to die on, and that it's a sin, which I would say I think all of us here don't think that that's true whatsoever. Um, and it, it's just, it's just, and thank you, I mean, I know you're not done with your article yet, but I mean, just for being, I mean, when you were reading that, I just started getting chills to, yeah. and I want to just thank you for your openness and your transparency, because that can't be easy you know, to, to write about such a deep thing that you're going through. So thank you for that transparency. And it just pisses me off as, as a Christian 
that there's so many other Christians in other streams um, of Christendom that just think that if you're gay or transgender that there's something inherently wrong with you when you're when there's absolutely nothing wrong with you like God made you that way God made you beautiful and there's so many people who are just like well they use some they use their own flawed hermeneutics I would say um, isogeting the text put you know putting themselves or reading it uh, un, un uh, what is that what word am I trying to say uncritically I guess um, and Poisoning. Using it to fit their own words. Yeah, yeah. Their own lines. So, anyway. Because, I mean, I, as, a, as a Christian atheist, I find it offensive, too. But also, when you were saying about all the different, like, self-harm, um, shame, um, all these different things that people think about themselves, I was thinking, there's so many of us who are just in the same boat, regardless of what our orientation is. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. just life will just beat you to your knees, you know? And we're all told... Yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Just get that, that house and those two kids. You got it. Yeah. And it's, and even if you get that, you know, if we, we've created a system where even if you get what you want, you're still unhappy. It's so, it's, yeah. it's so hard to be in a society where so many of us pretend all the time. Yeah. Instead of just being like, I'm pretty messed up. I could yeah. use a friend to just hang out with. Yeah. And just being that person regardless of you know how you get there you know whether it you know meeting somebody at a bar or just a picnic or whatever but acknowledging our finitude and our fallibility and our inability to take care of ourselves to like we're not creatures that are meant to be alone and when you're put in a position that you were in to put yourself in therapy like i'm sure you felt so it was it was lonely it was and it, that's one of the di- most difficult parts of my life and any person who feels lonely is you're going through this huge emotional and spiritual struggle where you don't feel safe to talk to anybody about mm. it. Oh yeah. And the only place you can talk about it is with your pseudo psychologist. Yeah. Or people you trust and it takes or time people to you trust. trust. Yeah. And they think you're crazy and <laughs> you know they think I'm thought I was flawed and to keep praying and you know, all that great well, I stuff. I think, too, there's a stigma of saying it's on us, all of us. Like, your problems are yours. Your problems are yours. Your problems are yours. Your problems are yours. And we should blow up that notion and just say our, our issues are ours. How do we do that? And Americans are not good at this. No. We're not good at sharing those yeah. deep, dark secrets. But when you do, like when you really do, I mean, you feel that liberation that people call grace. You know, or that liberation people call mercy. I, I feel that anyway. When someone, when someone bears their soul to me just because I'm nice to them, it, it's it it feels like a privilege to be there, to be that person they're talking to. And if I could do anything, like do my best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Grace. I think the idea of grace towards not even just like your fellow humans, but like grace towards people that are like part of your community is something that's so lacking in America. Yeah. It's like. It's like grace is just off so many people's radar. It's like if you aren't the same as me and think all the same things as me, I don't have any time for you. Or you're wrong and I'm going to like actively be against you. And it's like... So not helpful. How much, How different would things be if, if everyone just could like have a little bit more grace and in part of that like kind of an effort to try to understand someone else's perspective mm-hmm. would be 
huge. And like I, I was thinking a lot of the same stuff as Joshua was saying about like how there's so many things that I feel like, especially growing up in the evangelical church, it's like explicitly or implicitly you get this idea that okay, once I grow up, quote unquote, and I like reach. 30, if I'm married and have a house and a family, then any problems that I've had before will be solved because I'll just solve them. And it's like, whether it's having the affliction of same-sex attraction or pornography or gambling or like whatever your thing is, and it's just like, we we have this idea that we're raised with that like, well, you'll just, when you grow up, you'll fix it and you'll like arrive at where you're supposed to be. And it's like, there's no arriving. The only place we're going to arrive is the grave. I think there's also a little bit of a flaw in there in I know that this is how the church pitches it and I was kind of thinking this earlier too but kind of what you're saying Eric is thinking that these like it's grouping same-sex attraction with actual problems like yes. gambling or like because yeah. like yeah what you're, you're speaking from or I think you're speaking as and evangelical when you say this, I don't think you really think that yes but, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah like, no I, I yeah yes as you're saying that I, I retroactively realized that I was like Clumping that and like, right. d- d- I don't want that. But I think that, but that's like that's what it's. I think that kind of ties like the church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that ties that's in too it. with kind of what, what Josh was saying about like this idea. Well, this I was maybe just thinking this while you were saying what you were saying earlier. The idea that there is this this standard that we have to uh, maybe an impractical standard. So like, there's self harm and things like that, and like you were saying, like people who who struggle with with a, a wide variety of things. Like, I used to, to, to hurt myself and be suicidal and stuff as a teenager, like, pretty frequently. I was, got decent at hiding it and stuff like that. Uh, but I, it, was, it wasn't because I wasn't being good, quote-unquote, or, like, or being positive. It was because I wasn't reaching these, like, external, this external list of morality that didn't even align with my own personal moral compass. Which I think when you apply an external moral compass, quote-unquote moral compass, or an external standard to someone, like to a man who is gay and who is a strong person, and you tell them, oh, this is a thing that is wrong, and then he's like, well, in my, that's just me, like, what do you mean it's wrong? Then these, these not only unrealistic standards, but uh, toxic standards, I think, come into play. And then it's, it's shit that you can't fix, or like... I don't know, telling a depressed kid you, sh- you shouldn't be sad. Just, just, yeah, just be happy. Just be happy. Jesus yeah. loves you. Oh, oh, Which yeah. we've all heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Pray your depression away. Holy shit. I don't know if you yeah. tell me that before. Like, oh my God. after I got divorced, people were like, it's, it's time for you to not be sad anymore. And I was like, you don't get to fucking tell you. me when right. I get to stop you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just like, and the same thing with you know, whatever you, like, you're going through. Like, you, someone shouldn't be able to dictate to you when, when yeah. your trauma is over, mm-hmm. when your, mm-hmm. any of that's over. And I think it's also a victimization of the lie of the American dream of being like eventually everything will be okay and that's what I also like the arc of Christianity where they're like well eventually everything will be right and I'm like well, what about those f- four kids who were just raped and murdered like what about them where's their justice well eventually everything will be made right that just seems like such a bullshit uh, to me they'll be embraced into the arms of the creator hey, I hope so everything yeah but it doesn't, nice. it doesn't make it right but doesn't ha- it do- doesn't take that paranoia in the here and now but piggybacking <laughs> off of what you're saying, though, is I just think it's so true. I'm sorry if we're going off topic, but we'll we'll get back. <laughs> um, but kind of Josh, what you were saying of of we as not even just as Christians, but as humans, especially in our American context, we are so 
bad at dealing with each other's pains and hurts. And it's almost like we can't talk about when we're hurt or we're going through shit. Yeah. No, no matter what it is, A through Z. Like, and and I, for their sake of anonymity, like I have a close family member who went through a brutal divorce, just a brutal divorce. Their wife left them, didn't see it coming. And I was telling a lot of, told, told my wife, told some mutual family and friends, and this individual got super angry. And I, I, and it was people who knew what was going on. It wasn't just like, hey, look at this gossip. Hey, random guy, let yeah, me tell you something. Yeah, and, and so this individual got really mad at me, and I confronted them, and I said... The only reason I said we're Christians, like you, you classify yourself as a Christian, or, or you know, and uh, but I said we're in this together. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're happy, I'm happy. And I said we lose that in the gospel. We lose that in Christianity. And and there's a fine line of where you're gossiping and you're just you know stirring up shit to stir it up. But there's a time where like when an individual is hurting. You go to the individual, and you, not even words, but like, can I, you know, what do you need from me? Do you need a hug? Do you need to go get a beer? Do you want me to just sit with you? Do you want to go sit? Whatever it is. And we are so shitty at doing that. Just as, not even as Christians, but as humans. Yeah. Like, when well, we're going through what, hurt. What, you were, what I'm thinking that. is when you're saying that is like, what I'm trying to do right now, and I'm trying to be present. And like, um... Simone Bay, who died in her early 30s, said that attention is the most sincere form of gratitude. No, is that it? No, yeah, I think so. Close to that. It's not right. Somebody's going to yell at this. Somebody's screaming at the radio right now. Um, <laughs> Tweet at. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I don't want a good thing out of that. Um, no, the most uh, sincere form of generosity. That's what she said. So attention is the most sincere form of generosity. Mm, and, like, trying to listen to you and you and you and you and, like, all of us talking, trying to be present it's so hard because we're so conditioned to think about what's going on after this or where we're going to be when we're when happiness is right because yeah. it's out there it's not right now we're conditioned to, to, to figure out what's going on in the next sentence mm-hmm. you know we can't just sit in the present and yes. I'm a chaplain I, that's what my profession is and my background is so I I do the whole listening and holding people with their pain thing so I, I get it but we don't know how to mourn anymore you know like back in the day people died and they wore black for like years because they were mourning and now they'd be and like that person needs to get over it yeah mm-hmm. exactly exactly but for some reason we have we we can't deal with the fact that people have pain that people have sadness and then we're given bullshit theology where oh well god loves you and i'm like yeah, sure, God loves me, but where is God in my pain right now? Mm. Where is God in this moment where I get called at 1 o'clock in the morning because there's a little kid that died because he got meningitis and I had to listen to his mom cry her eyes out because her kid was dying. Where was God in that? You know, and I didn't have an answer for her. I just sat there and I listened to her cry. And I listened to her tell me about her little boy and how sweet he was. I, I couldn't say any whatever I had to say in that moment wasn't going to matter but your listening did but my listening I hope that mm-hmm. she can remember mm-hmm. that I was there and that I tried to make it better for her just by being there despite the fact that I was tired and it was 1 o'clock in the morning you know like I don't know you do more by saying less yeah poor people did that 
just being present and mm-hmm. being compassionate, yeah. um, em- empathetic. You know, I think so many times, I, I'm sure everybody experienced this, even I've experienced this, where people will regurgitate verses or phrases. Oh, gosh. And it's like the worst. It is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what? <laughs> I, oh, I, I, you know, I never did that unless the family was doing that. And it seemed like something that that was bringing comfort to them. Like if they were all saying that kind of stuff to each other, then I would, I would join in. That's the only time I would ever do it because seeing something, you know, oh God gained another angel. Yeah, right. No, that's not true. Wait, wait, what? what? <laughs> like it's a little. Like, no, like seriously, people people say say yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff so. when 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 people die when little kids especially because yeah. I worked at a children's hospital. For a little while, so like, I I heard people say that to family members, and I never said it unless unless the family seemed like it was something yeah. where it where that was something that would bring them comfort. Then I would kind of sort it, but it was very much against. I think that's such my a good ex- that's such a good example of like wh- how bad. Yeah. We are because, like, no, because it's like you can understand why someone would say that because it's like, yeah, yeah we, no you, one's taught how to like deal with that. So it's yeah. like you could like people say as stuff. bad as it is, it's like I can I can see why someone would say that because like yeah. I don't know what to say. I want to say something that sounds like yeah. comforting, people, and, and it's like I. So I'll give like this is like a little teaser for what my recommendation is going to be. But I was listening <laughs> to the, there's this line in this song. Um, there's this, there's this artist that I've been like really into recently, and he's got a line of one of his songs that just gutted me recently and like he said it was the church that taught me to hate like in this song talking about like how poor the church is at like really dealing with like deep issues and it's like that is so heavy but so true that like how often how often do we learn how to hate from the church Mm -hmm. and it's devastating yeah even with like from the perspective of the you know queer community you know i've i've received all these different you know people sending verses and um saying you know well this bible's verse says this and i'm like really like as if i wasn't raised in the church i don't know that i haven't explored that Mm -hmm. like why are you and i think that happens a lot because they don't know how to react and so it's easy to kind of like just punt a pre-recorded Cookie cutter um, right. response. Cookie cutter. Well, especially if, if you've been taught your whole life that something's wrong, and then it affects yeah. you because you're their family, you're their son, you're their you know nephew, you know what have you. Like I'm sure their response is they don't know what to do because they're like they love you, but now they have to figure out how to love you within their thing. Like that. Um, that's that's interesting. Yeah, they they do love. However, it's also. Uh, a wall being built that they don't want to address because there are resources out there. They just don't want to address it. They don't want to look into it because it makes them feel uncomfortable. And if they look into it, it'll kind of shake their yeah, sturdy grounds. Their view, yeah. And they're like, yeah. well, we know, we know um, you're definitely a robber, Robert, not a Bob, right? Definitely not a Bob. Yeah. I'm sorry, retire. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely, I'm sure people in your family who are like, well, if, if Rob's gay, it can't be that bad. 
you know, like they're like we we love him so much. Like this is this changing our perspective. And I'm saying that out of I have a a relative who is gay and um, came out to their family, and the family was very conservative, very Missouri Senate Lutheran, so pretty, uh-huh. pretty niche of a niche. And because he was such a big part of the family, that family's perspective totally changed on homosexuality. And they were like, no, this is a real thing, and like, this is our son, and we're going to stand by him. And we're, if our church says we can't, then we'll just find a new church. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's great. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. But I mean, that's, yeah, I that's think that's probably the minority. Yep, that's probably the minority, yeah. I would say. Yeah, with me, that's not the situation where. Um, that was going to be no, a question. No members accept me or my husband, except for one cousin and her husband that are totally okay with it because they've been through a situation also. But, um, yeah, it's I, I'm really happy to hear when there are families that do come around um, and then do take, take a stand and say, hey, this is not what how things should be. And this is what we believe now, and they support their, you know, son, daughter, father, mother. Yeah, but as Christians who said, I don't think Jesus would outcast this person from our lives. Yeah. So, what is your relationship like with your parents now? Um, it's very superficial. So, only my mom is living, and she is still in Arizona, and I'm up here in the north. Um, So, we have phone conversations once in a while, but it's still a struggle. Because we won't talk about personal stuff. Most of the time, she doesn't want to hear what me and my husband do. You know, I mean, she asks like, you know, what's new, but she never really goes into a deeper conversation. And um, she still tries to bypass him and say, "Hey, come visit," but not him, mm-hmm. or stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's that, to that extent. Um, so, I mean, it's I, I come, came to terms with she will probably never change. Um, I'm sorry. That's yeah, hard. thank you. Uh, you but just I just kind of accepting that, but yet, like I accepted wish it, but it's, wish it was different. Yeah, yeah of course, uh, absolutely. But I have found a great community and a great group of friends, and what we call chosen family um, that have just surrounded us with love. Um, and I'm very blessed and very happy. There's always that old notion from you know the conservatives that oh if you're gay you're not you're not going to be happy you're going to live a miserable life you're going to be diseased and you're going to be an outcast blah 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 and they're holding on to that those old thoughts not realizing that i'm, I'm telling my mom like no i'm <laughs> super happy i'm the happiest i've ever been this is amazing um but she wants to stick to her old ideas and it's ironic too i think that you're you're still in the church and that you're your faith is still so important to you. But it's not a real church because they accept it. Yeah, us. right. <laughs> oh, boy. We, we had a couple on the podcast uh, previously um, who the family is really conservative, almost a cult like from Milwaukee, and they actually refer to um, her spouse as it. Wow. So yes. they separated and now it's no longer a human, it's an it. Okay, yeah. That's a problem. Super tough. That was a that was a really good episode. Oh, I really like that episode. Let me just throw this out. I don't. It's not an answerable question. It's more of stuff that's always kicked around in my old noggin. Um, <laughs> my, my old noggin. We all know Brian's old noggin. Yeah, I'm old as dirt. If you see my beard, it's gray. It's looking great. Um, it's gray. looking great. 
and great and great. There we go. But okay. why? Why? <laughs> I mean, people who have listened to the podcast who know I'm part of the mainline denomination, the UCC. But I grew up Pentecostal. I grew up as something as a God. Um, so it's under that umbrella of Pentecostalism. I guess my and one of the reasons I did leave evangelicalism and left the Assemblies of God was on the whole issue of homosexuality and 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 all that and I remember in my church being told like we accept everyone like I hate when we're like our church accepts everyone but then but but there's right. a caveat. Hard, but, but then everything after that is but, but yeah. If you're this 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 and this, then you're a sinner and whatever. And I remember going up to my youth pastor and being like, "If we accept everyone, why come my my neighbor or my classmate who's gay? Why can't they be in this church? Well, well, they're sinning." And I'm like, "Says who?" Well, says the Bible, and I said, "Says in your interpretation." Of course, I got kicked out of <laughs> my youth group for obvious reasons. But why? I, why do evangelicals, and I'm not saying all evangelicals, there's uh, some very progressive evangelicals. I don't want to, you know, have that, you know, mm-hmm. o- the whole umbrella over evangelicals. But why does the evangelical church die on that hill? Why do they die on homosexuality? Why do they say, uh, more or less, homosexuality and, like, abortion are the two, two moral, social issues that they're like... This you can we can talk about all this other stuff, but if you are in our quote unquote in group of our church or our denomination, then you have to be anti-gay and anti-abortion. And oh, and I, pro-gun. And pro-gun, yeah. I don't. I just don't understand that. And I do think there. And I forget what poll it we was. We have to remember the guns in Jesus's time were. A lot but I, for, I forget. <laughs> I, forget <laughs> the I forget what poll it is. But I don't know if it's Pew Research or you know a non-religious one. But the the there's a growing number of younger evangelicals who still classify themselves as evangelicals who are totally changing their their tune and their outlook, their theology on homosexuality, because they're like, it does not matter to us if someone is gay, or if someone's transgendered, or if someone's a lesbian, because God loves them for who they are. God made them beautiful. So I do think it's the older older generations that are holding on to like their interpretation of like, yeah, like we, we this is wrong. And I think the younger generations, and I'm not saying all but I think there is a growing number of some evangelicals who are like, this is just bullshit. Uh-huh. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, you you are you. If you're gay, if you're straight, whatever. Like, be happy with who you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't... I have always struggled with that notion of why do certain denominations just die on that moral issue? Here's... This isn't a clean and cut answer, but I think that there's a... I think there's a lot of... I think this touches on a lot of it. I think homosexuality, abortion, guns, and climate change are the four biggies that I would see. And I think it comes down to politics. Oh, yeah. I think that a lot of people won't want to say it, but I think a lot of evangelical Christians are more concerned about being Republican than they are concerned about being Christian. Well, I think America... And I think that it's... Huge, like, I listened to this podcast with this um, scientist who's a Christian scientist who wrote a whole book. Like, her and her husband are, like, super passionate about 
climate change and science and like climate change science and like she has like a web series with PBS and she like does all this stuff and she like she's a Christian who is a scientist or she's a Christian scientist she is a Christian who is a scientist <laughs> okay. yes thank you for the clarification okay. um, yeah. and she was talking about how there's like in her being like very public about the fact that she's a Christian and a scientist uh-huh. and like supports like the, sci- the science behind climate change and stuff she has like discovered a lot of her colleagues that she had no idea were Christian or Christian because they're like oh. We don't want to, anyone to know that we're Christian because then no one's going to like trust our science or like anything. Yeah. And like, she was talking about how political it is, and like you dig, 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 and it's crazy how strong of a political connection there is. So evangelical Christianity is so in bed with the Republican Party yeah. that it clouds everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't people, like people, I got a church. People think, see. well, if I'm a Christian, I have to, and it's like. It's so ingrained that people don't even see the distinction. They're just like, this is this. It's a one-to-one. And they don't see that it's like just like muddy in the waters between politics and religion. It's about political power. And it really is. And that's why, like I would say like the newer, the younger generation that you were just talking about, Brian, I would put a lot of money on the fact that there's a big overlap with a lot of those same people that are now like kind of shifting are also identifying more liberally political. I would agree. So when you said you're afraid to tell people you go to church, I feel the opposite. I'm afraid to tell people I don't go to church. Oh, yeah. Which I think is funny. That's why I tell people that this is my church. <laughs> we accept that. Yeah. We accept that. Yeah, um, I also dislike, identi- like, at, yeah. especially with people that I don't know well. Yeah. Like, that is yeah. not something I lead with, that no. I'm a Christian or that I go like, to church. Yeah, it's like, I go to church. That's like it's a, not like, I swear it's, it's like, not like, <laughs> I don't believe in Skyman. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad that that's why you guys go to the UCC and revolution. And then what I was thinking too, when you were talking was that America is at a crisis of identity right now. And so when you're talking about why do we point out this group or that group, because it's easy, it's minority. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless you're native American, you're an immigrant. Yep. So why point on immigrants? I was born here. Yeah, right? <laughs> why point on immigrants? At least you came from somewhere else and got here. Um, so that takes away that high ground. Um, why are we so upset about homosexuality and abortion? Patriarchy. They're both detrimental to patriarchy. They both threaten the social order of men being in power. Men with large penises being in power. <laughs> large the more penises you have, the higher your rank. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and we've got that toxic, you know, president right now. I won't say his name to give him any grace. <laughs> but we've got a president right now who is inept and uh, basically won the White House on a bet. Wait, and like. Isn't acting responsible we at all, and so when someone says, "Are you acting responsible with your mortgage?" I want to be like, "Go fuck yourself!" <laughs> like I shouldn't have to be responsible for anything if our leadership reflects what we're supposed to do. It's just so frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Like I, I tell Eric, I'm like, I've been, my news consumption has gone down so much because it's it's just so disheartening. You just want to every day. You're like, should I do it? Should I slip this wrist today? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Maybe I just won't watch. Yeah, it's overwhelming sometimes. It's so well, overwhelming. I want to try to, if you can finish your article, I want to be respectful. That, well, if you want to finish it. Yeah, please do or, finish it. Please do. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's not much left, but I could finish it. Yeah, okay. please do. Please. So we were back at the um, the man who was going to conversion therapy for 10 oh, years. Right. Um, he finally accepted himself, came out publicly, and lives a happier, more fulfilled life. Coming out with it, came out. Excuse me. Coming out came with a price, however. 
His ex-wife is being difficult, to say the least, and while some of his children respect his decision, others have not. Mm. Down the line, it was my deep belief that God is love that led me out of the mire in depression, shame, and self-hatred. I have a beautiful life with my husband, two dogs, and a cat. We're surrounded by love and support. We have been fortunate to have an amazing group of friends in town and out of town. Believe it or not, there are some Romanians that, are lo- that love and support us as well. You lose a lot when you come out, and it's scary, but ultimately, you gain even more than you could imagine. A couple of years ago, I had a job interview with a digital, digital marketing company. I got dressed, grabbed my portfolio, resumes, business cards, and drove to their office. As I was driving, the streets seemed eerily familiar to me. I turned into the small street that led to a business center with brick facade and manicured landscape. As I turned into the parking area, I looked straight ahead, and there before me was my old ex-gay therapy office. I hit the brakes and just stared. Eventually, I pulled closer and noticed that it was closed permanently. The marketing office was just across the way, and as I walked up to the office door, I couldn't help but smile, thinking how funny God can be. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and that, was, that in, was in Arizona? <laughs> that was in, yeah, that was in Arizona. That's crazy. Wow. Your, whole, your whole thing about how... God is love is really interesting to me and I mentioned to you before we recorded today that that's something I wanted to ask you more about because I know like when we had when I had that interview with you and David you were saying I was like well why why do you what why were, why are you not fully just turned off to the church and turned off to Christianity I, I think that, that was when you when you said that because you feel that God is love and so I wonder what you mean by that yeah so there's a couple of ways you can take it you could take the route where other people have taken where they have a lot of anger and um, animosity because of what they've gone through and because they were brought up with this very skewed perspective of God and they believe all of the negative information that that was fed to them mm. and so in turn they're you know they've completely left the faith and and whatnot um, and I totally understand that my perspective is I had to break it down. So I had a choice to make. Do I believe that God is this angry being that is purposely not turning me straight and sending me to hell? Or is he a God or she a God that is loving and I need to rethink what I've been taught? Mm. And that's the route that I I went towards. Um, And so that kind of path led to my deconstructing of my faith that I was raised in that whole um, framework that you were raising as a, as a kid now you have to take it apart and say what, what part of it is close to what I, what I believe is real versus what is man-made mm-hmm. and their interpretations and so I had to really go down that path um, and I just had this really deep conviction that if God is love that he must have created me to be to reflect, you know, his love and um, his wonderful workmanship, and we're and that we are all beautifully and wonderfully made, and um, you know, God made me flawless. So it's um, that that's where I I had to take that road, and I actually just finished a book recently called um, The Universal Christ. By Richard Rohr. Yeah, little shout out. Fantastic. Yeah. It's on my list. Um, So there's a quote in there. 
that he says, faith, hope, and love are the very nature of God and thus the nature of all being. Mm. And that just stuck with me. I'm like, that, that's it. That'll preach. Yeah. Yeah. Once you understand that, it'll dismantle all of that tox- toxicity and um, hatred and um, you'll have more of a connection and being present with the other person and love where before it wasn't possible. Do you think God is is literally the force of love, or do you think God is like a conscious guy or en- conscious entity that that just always loves? You know, I'm not sure what kind of entity it is. I like that. Yeah, um, that's probably not a. I know it sounds heretical what I'm saying, but it's not a concern of mine. Um, I think that there there is something or someone higher than us mm. out there, um, and the that wavelength that energy is mm-hmm. is is love and mm. wholeness and completeness I like that that's really nice yeah and that's what we need to strive towards mm-hmm. as people yeah that's like <clears throat> what you just said I think is a really well articulated way to like something that I've been is very similar to something that I've been kind of like centering a lot of my beliefs and thoughts around just kind of like the idea that if I if I can fully define and understand who or what I believe God to be that's kind of sad if I can be like yes I now I have a full definition and understanding because then that means that I can fully understand it, that means it's less than me. And like that's not like that's not the kind of being force or being or deity or God or energy or whatever that I would want to like believe in. Something that I could fully understand. And so kind of like that kind it's kind of like a in like the mystic tradition of like there's this mystery, uncertainty, unknowability, and that's what's beautiful and exciting and fascinating and like attractive. That it's like that I can't have all the answers. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, maybe that's heretical. It sounds agnostic, but like that sounds more exciting to me than like. Here's what. It oh, is. here's I. Here's I God. put God in a box, yeah, and yeah, now yeah. I understand God. Well, one nice of my favorite verses in or parts of the story of Moses when he's you know at the burning bush and he asks. Who should I say sent me to these people? Mm-hmm. And this being says, I am. And I think that's such a profound statement. Mm-hmm. There's no name, there's no gender, it's just I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just mind blowing. I'm me. sorry, I was snickering. I was remembering in Ghostbusters when <laughs> uh, when Zool asked uh, Dan Aykroyd's character if he's a god, and he goes, No. And then he goes, Then die. And she shoots him with stuff. And then Winston's character comes up and he's like, Ray. Next time someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> I don't know why that popped into my head, but I was like, "Oh, Ernie Hudson, shout out to you because you're listening." I'm sure. <laughs> he actually lives in Minnesota. He, I've met him twice. He's a very gentle, very yeah, awesome. Yeah, he, he married a woman from St. Paul, so oh, he shit. lives here. Let's find him. Let's delete that. <laughs> Josh for the stalker. Hmm. 
Thanks to thanks to thank you, Robert. Robert. Yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing. Thanks for sharing your story, be, and I hope you come back. And yeah. Just, yeah, just thank you, because I think you'd be a really valuable voice to have in the collective. Yeah, I think what's important is, um, you know, gay pride is upon us the whole month, um, and it's great that, you know. We who are queers are out there and, you know, saying, you know, we exist and we deserve, you know, every single rights. You know, the first pride was a, a riot. Um, but I think what's also equally or even even more important is the allies, the straight allies to also come out and say this and that. Or if they hear somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, speaking, you know, badly or injustice that, you know, say, hey, I'm a straight person and I just don't agree with that and I think that makes a huge difference because I could go to a, a bigot and say no you're that's incorrect and he's like of course you think it's incorrect because you're gay sure. versus somebody else who is not mm-hmm. and there's more there could be more conversation thing around that um, so here's a here's a question yeah um, just I I honestly don't have a lot of gay friends a lot, there's not a lot of gay people in my life so for me, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who are listening who also, you know, are, are all across the spectrum from maybe being gay to having lots of gay friends to maybe being against it to maybe not knowing anyone. So what would, as, as someone in the queer community, what maybe like two or three things that you, that you would, you know, appreciate from, like, from people who want to be allies who maybe are... Ignorant or just uneducated or just you know, like I want to be an ally but I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Or like what would be helpful or what you know what could I say that's trying to be helpful but maybe isn't really helpful. So like maybe like give a few suggestions for like or has anything even been said here tonight that was ignorant that you would comment on? Um, no, no, okay, I, w- I would say no. Um, that's a really good good question and I appreciate that. Um. Number one is what I what I mentioned, um, speaking up and just saying this is not okay, the way what you think, what you're saying, how you're treating people. I think that's very powerful. Um, I think I think getting to know somebody who is gay in the in the sense that, you know, asking questions, have conversations with them. Um, what do you do this weekend? Oh, I went to the gay bar, what's it like? You know, I've never been, or tag along with them. Just Kind of um, be part of part of their world, um, and get to know them because that creates um, familiarity. It opens your mind a little more, gets a better perspective on things. Um, so yeah, sticking up for people, um, becoming familiarized, and asking questions, um, just having um, genuine conversations, I think, is is very important rather than. Um, reacting and having reactive responses, just having conversations with somebody who thinks differently or whatnot. And it's, and it's difficult because you, there's an emotional attachment to whatever you believe. I think remembering that every, we're all people. And so, like, we're asking, all humans, yeah. Like, really asking people questions, just being like, what, how do you feel about that? Because I have friends in the gay community who are, are like, this person says they're an ally, but they're really not. You know, they're trying to be an ally because it's, it's cool right now. Because in Twin Cities, it's a pretty, like, fabulous gay bubble so there's mm-hmm. like a, a thriving gay community that has community support and has a pretty I mean a pretty vo- voice uh, like a, a local voice at least in the Minneapolis St. Paul area 
um, which is fantastic, but it's not that way everywhere. Right. And so a lot of yeah. my friends who are in the Twin Cities, they'll you know go to rural Minnesota and be like, it's hard out there. Mm-hmm. And so I think not speaking for anyone, but letting them speak to us, like letting the the whole queer community speak to us, and. I don't. I don't know if there's no like ambassador of that, you know, or no one person like we can read this book and we'll get it all figured out. But just letting you know, all the people in that community that are brothers and sisters like speak to us, speak with us is important. Yeah. Um, so like what you were saying, like as a straight person, what can you do? Like I think we can listen. Yeah. And we can offer support when needed, but I don't think we should jump in front or speak for or assume we know. Yeah. Very well put. Well, thank you. Amanda, do you have any, <laughs> any thoughts now that yeah, you've joined us? After putting our daughter to sleep? No. Uh, I think that brings us to recommendations. Yep. We'll do that Sounds real quick. Right. Thanks again, Robert. Yeah. And yes, thank you very much. This should drop. It's a pleasure. In, should drop in a few weeks. So. I thought it was tomorrow. <laughs> no, this is live. Up right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to 101.9. We're uh, Sacred Collective is very busy this this <clears throat> weekend with podcasting. So very busy. Yeah, um, I don't think I've ever been so busy since we started this. So it's mm-hmm. exciting. Woo-hoo. So a lot of a lot of episodes are going to be dropping into your ear holes <laughs> very soon. So, so gross. Yeah, love it. So, that is really gross. Love it. Well, that's what your ears are. They're ear holes. <laughs> okay. Orf- orifices. Stop. <laughs> that's a great word. I like it. Orifices. orifices. You like hold or orifice better. Uh, like orifice better. <laughs> Anyways. What did you Shine say? the light on us. No. Um, I'll just do two real quick. Um, I mean, I could go on days and days with all the good shows that are on TV right now, but one show that I'm watching that I highly recommend on Amazon Prime is Good Omens. Uh, it's a it's a show based off of the book by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, um, and it's really cool. Um, it has it's two it's an angel and a demon that are friends, and it's the they're and it go it start it's a very nonlinear the story, um, and it just kind of starts out like how the good angel like as I forget the name is like as as Raziel, um, which is played by uh, Martin Sheen. That act, British actor, and um, he's at the garden uh, um, with Crowley, who's played by David Tennant, who's the um, who was a doc, who was Doctor Who, one of the many doctors. David Tennant. David Tennant, yeah, and he plays Crowley the demon, and it's it's great because it, it's very nonlinear, but it keeps going like to present day because um, they lose the Antichrist as a baby. And they're trying to stop the Antichrist from taking over. And it's this play of, like, good shouldn't mess with evil. And it's just very funny. And I was telling Caleb when I picked him up today, there's a lot of... There's comedy. It's a, it's a comedy. It's dark comedy. But there's theology in it, too. And I really like when shows, especially non-religious shows, put theology in there. There's a scene. It's a very short scene. But it has... I mean, they, they, they go through, like, by Noah's Ark and, and all that. But then there's a scene where you're seeing Jesus get crucified, and both the angel and demon are there, and of course the angel is like really emotional because they see what's going on, and then Crowley shows up and was like, 
oh, what's going on with this guy? Like, what's happening to him? And the angel says, oh, well, he's getting crucified. He's getting killed. And the, and the demon's like, well, what did he do? And he was like, oh, he was teaching kindness. And he was preaching kindness. And then the demon is like, well, yeah, that's going to get you killed all the time. And then it quick just goes to, like, this next scene. And it, it, I think it was just that truth hammer that they just dropped right there. Mm-hmm. Like, even a non-Christian show, a very secular show, if I use that word, was saying, like, yeah, Jesus got killed because he was preaching kindness and love. I, so I thought that was really cool. Um, the other thing was a podcast. It's just brand spanking new. I actually found this out from a UCC colleague, but there's a, a theology that just dropped, or a theology, a podcast that just dropped called Theology Without the Bullshit is the title. And it's from a professor at United Seminary of the Twin Cities. Shout out, it's a UCC seminary. Um, he's a, a professor, Paul Capitz, uh, Paul um, who um, openly gay and uh, ordained in the UMC. And he teaches, like, historical theology and his background. And the other co-host was one of his former students who graduated who is who was brought up UCC and classifies himself as an agnostic. And their opening um, um, episode just dropped earlier this week. But it's really fascinating, I think, what they're doing. of Not what we're doing, but kind of exploring. They're specifically exploring theology and Christianity um, of, of how... If you have toxic Christianity, toxic way of understanding Christianity, then then there is bullshit involved. So I recommend that if you're really wanting to get some theology in your ears, um, other than the Sacred Collective. Mm. Um, but that's brand new, so I want to, you know, since I'm UCC and they're UCC, I want to shout out to to them for what they're doing. It's pretty cool. Anything, Robert? Am I, oh, next. Okay, so I'll, I'll have two. One is a serious one, one's a funny one. So the serious one is, like I mentioned before, Do Read the Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. Phenomenal book, mind-blowing. Second that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's totally opposite is there's a podcast called My Dad Wrote a Porno. Yes! That's so oh, funny! I love it. It's hilarious. amazing. So if you don't know what it's about, it's this yeah. dad, random guy in, in the UK, just decided to write a, a porno. Like a novel, self-published, self-published, and somehow, uh, well, no, his his dad sends it to his son to <coughs> kind of look over, make sure it's okay, and <laughs> <laughs> yes, his I son just show. I love this breaks down. It's the most funny, disturbing, and heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> I can't explain. I don't know how to explain it, but it's it's him and like two of his friends, right? Yeah. Comment. He reads through it, and him and his friends comment on it. And yeah, and, and it's it's about this. It's the novel is called Belinda Blinks. It's about Belinda, and she blinks at certain moments, um, and she works for a pots and pants company. And it's it's a porno. So that's to give you context. I, 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 think Robert, I, I second. Dad, write a porno. Just like I second. Like, hey, Gordy, would you write a porno so I can read it? I second what Robert said. I've uh, there's four seasons. I've listened to all of them except for the last couple episodes. But they actually on HBO. We just canceled their HBO, but they actually have like a documentary wow. on on it because they're like touring all over the no way. all over the I world know. now because of how. Um, 
how huge it's gotten. Yeah, we were we were driving home from um, from Wisconsin, listening to the podcast, me and my husband, and we were cry laughing all the way home. Like it was like dangerous to drive because I couldn't see how I was cry laughing. <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, but I digress. Nice. Uh, I recommend, like we said earlier. It's the full name. I just was just looking it up. Uh, the full title of the podcast is "Unerase: The History of Conversion Therapy in America." So good, quick listen. Yeah, great listen. Really quick listen. I was gonna. I would probably otherwise be recommending the film "Unerase," which I was gonna or erase a boy race. Sorry, which I was gonna watch in preparation for this. But they took it off Netflix. So Netflix put that back up. I had it in my queue for a long time when Robert first mentioned it to me. Mm. I just I took too long to watch it. Uh, and then I'd also say anyone who enjoyed this episode, if you haven't heard episode number twenty two, it is uh, Robert and his husband David kind of talking about uh, their interfaith love because uh, your husband is, is Jewish. Jewish, yeah. And you have such a specific background with being uh, Romanian American. Pentecostal, yeah, and uh, it's a. I think it's a nice conversation. So if, if you want to learn more about Robert, then check out episode number twenty-two. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So my recommendation is um, this artist that I've just kind of gotten back into listening to. Uh, he's a hip hop rapper. Goes by NF. So good. So good. He is his artistry both lyrically and visually in his music videos is just outstanding. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Um, so the song, I actually misquoted the lyric earlier. The actual lyric he has in the song is called Ten Feet Down. And the lyric is, church is where I found God, but it's also where I learned to judge. And it's just like, mm. this one's good. Um, he just dropped. He hasn't had any new music for like a year. He just dropped a single this past weekend called "The Search," which that is my recommendation. Is watch the video. Also watch it all the way to the end because it looks like it ends, but there's still like 20 seconds left. Then just keep watching like the last second. And it's um, it's got like I, I would call them Easter eggs, but it's got like references to a lot of his other videos, like imagery wise. So it'll like make you want to like watch more of his stuff. But it's a super super powerful song that talks a lot about his kind of like the re- kind of says like the reason he's been at, like off the scene for the last year is like due to mental illness and seeing the therapist and stuff and like he's just really he's one of the most authentically raw real lyricists mm. ever so that song's called The Search watch the video um, another song of his that like up front get some Kleenex before you listen to this song because I cry every time I hear it. Um, it's called How Could You Leave Us? And it's basically a song that he writes to his mom who overdosed and died on pills when he was growing up. And it's just this heart-wrenchingly sad, genuine song about like him dealing with that pain. And it's it's the most beautifully sad agonizing song and it's it's one of those things like sometimes like for me like sometimes I just really enjoy like the catharsis of like some really heavy emotion mm-hmm. oh it's good like, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it right now so NF that's my recommendation we're emo kids that's why yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my recommendation is about a mile away from here 
uh, an undisclosed location in St. Paul, um, on Payne Avenue, uh, currently being held at uh, Cook St. Paul Restaurant, but it's a pop-up for the next three months. It's called the Golden Golden Horseshoe U.S. I have to say U.S. because I don't want to get uh, sued by the mouse, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah, I don't want to get sued by Mickey. Um, so Golden Horseshoe is an authentic Sichuan um, Chinese-American restaurant. It's going to be every Thursday, Friday, Saturday from 5 to 9 at the location on Payne Avenue. Sunday, too, sorry. Uh, it is delicious. Go support our friends and uh, expand your culinary horizons. I second that also. That food is phenomenal. So good. It might change your life. I live vicariously through your Instagram photos of it. Wow. Hi, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. All right. My recommendation. um, Jamie Virgin? No. I thought you were going to punch me. I should punch you, though, just because you deserve it. But, anyways, um, no, I, you know, Brian and I have a a, a theology, you know, okay, Rachel Held Evans, she passed away. Mm And uh, she um, is still is one of my favorite theologians because of the fact that she authentically searched for God in her own way and brought people into her search through all of her writings and the fact that she was fairly inclusive is from what I know. I mean, I oh, haven't, yeah, I haven't, I haven't read all of her books. I, I want to now. Um, I did read the year of biblical womanhood and it was hilarious. <laughs> um, so I also think, but you know, pretty much anything by her and the, the, um, <clears throat> one of my friends from seminary posted online that the, um, the you know, what was it? The eulogy that was said at her funeral, and it was just this amazing, amazing testimony to who she was and who she wanted Christianity to be. So I wish that I had looked that up before I started talking about it, but um, that is what I want to recommend. I had the wonderful opportunity a couple years ago to see her at here in the cities in St. Paul um, and got to talk to her a little bit so she was a person that died way too young from a very freak medical issue um, but yeah she is a, was and is a fantastic voice um, within progressive Christianity My recommendation, like Brian said, there's a lot of good shows out, and I thought when he said he had two, he was going to take my recommendation, but (laughs) Handmaid's Tale Season 3 is back. Um, We just watched yesterday, three three episodes out. We watched the first episode, and it starts out really good. It's... Not really a dull moment in there. A lot of you know, really good, really good intense. stuff with the storyline, and yeah, it's very intense. And especially watching this show while having a child too, looking at like from that perspective, like there's parts you're, you know, kind of trying to cover your eyes and hold your breath, and then realize 
there's a twist or it turned out how you wanted to. So uh, definitely go and check that out. Do it. Perfect. Sweet. I knew you were going to do it. I knew it. Until <laughs> next time. Until next time. Until next time. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us. We out. Bye, everybody. Thanks for being part of our conversation. To continue the conversation, find us on social media at sacred underscore MN. A post Christian production.